This just in on Redeeming the Time News Radio. Jesus Christ has been on trial this week as the Sanhedrin continually argue his guilt according to the law of Moses. Jesus' defendants, namely himself, produced seven miracles, cited dozens of prophecies that are considered utmost scripture, and made seven claims about his purpose on earth, as well as seven claims of his divinity, all fourteen of which were backed by scripture. The Sanhedrin has provided no evidence at all. However, they still found him guilty. But because the Jewish authorities really have no power to do anything, the case has been presented to Roman Governor Pontius Pilate, and his decision awaits. We'll be back with more as soon as we have it here at Redeeming the Time News Radio Broadcast, where we're always in pursuit of the truth. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Redeeming the Time podcast. Uh, I gotta say, the radio thing is <laughs> its really fun. Uh, but uh, here's the deal. So this is kind of like a two-parter episode. So the most recent episode was titled The Word. And this is combined right in it uh, with the truth. So even though we're in like a series in John, this is almost like a two-parter within that series because the truth is completely tied to the word. So if you're lost as to why I sound uh, like 1940s radio or uh, <laughs> a lot of the things that I'm about to talk about with the truth, the reason that you're probably confused is because this is very much tied to the word. So if you have not listened to the episode about the word, uh, stop this, go do that first because you're not going to see where we're at. Uh, so anyways, yeah, last episode we talked about the word, but in this episode we're going to do something that's very similar. We're going to talk about the truth. So the truth is a running theme in John and it's like so important that it might just be the theme in John. Remember, John is wrestling with the question, who is Jesus? Particularly, is Jesus divinity. And of course, we think we know how this is going to be answered, but one of the crucial ways that John talks about that is with this pattern, the truth. It keeps coming up from beginning to end. It's just littered all through John's gospel. So clearly it's important for us to understand what is John trying to make a statement of. And so we got to stop and break it down. The problem with this is that even though it's littered throughout the entire book, it's not really ever explicitly defined. Like, for instance, uh, there's a verse, oh, I don't even remember where it is. I think it's uh, one of the Pauline epistles where he says, faith is you know, belief in things unseen. That's a really nice definition of faith. Thanks, Paul. Uh, John doesn't ever give us that with the truth. It's almost like to understand how John uses the term the truth we have to actually go in and understand the context in which he uses that word. So we have to go in and look at all these instances. And it's like a lot. It's a lot of instances. And to be honest, I did that. And usually with uh, with words in the Bible, you can figure it out pretty easily. Not this time. It has some intuitive uh, understandings of the word. And then there's some that are just weird. You're like, why is he using that here? And, and it, it's because it requires a change in thought. So imagine this, you're reading through the book of John and I could stop and just look at instances, but I think it's, first of all, just safe enough for me to say it's there. And if you want to go check it out, I would encourage you to go check it out. But you're reading the book of John and you want to know why does the theme of the truth keep coming up? And so that's what I'm going to deal with here. What is the answer to our question? What is truth. So there's like a bunch of answers to this question. What is the truth? Answer number one, super straightforward for all of you uh, who are well-versed, pun intended, in the Bible. Jesus is the truth. Remember, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's in John 14, 6. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So, that kind of is something that gets quoted a lot. I had uh, some funny Catholic people uh, who were trying to preach at me this past week. It was interesting. They didn't really have a point. They kind of just started reciting scriptures, and this is the only one that I remember them citing. And I remember her saying it, and I'm like, okay, I know what that means for me. What does it mean to you? And then I realized, maybe I don't even know what that means to me. What what does it mean to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one gets to the Father except through me. And I think the easiest way to to break that up is we want to take the first, uh, let's take each statement on its own. So let's break it up. We have, Jesus says, I am the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am the truth. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. So, in each instance, keep in mind that Jesus is acting as the gateway. In all three of those attributes, the way, the truth, the life, those are all attributes of God, which are the only exclusive way to God. So, Jesus is the truth, which means that he's the way to God. And remember, Jesus is an expression. John talks about God, um, about Jesus as being the word of God, who is there from the beginning, who is part of God, but is distinct from God. So the term the truth has got to be tied to the word, the word. And if he is the expression of God, well then, he can't be false, so he has to be true. And so Jesus is the true expression of of God. So that's one uh, or a couple things to think about is Jesus is the word, which means he's both the perfect expression of God and he's also the only one who can tell you how to get to God. There's something else that's the truth. Uh, Jesus' teachings are also the truth. So not only is he the truth, but what he taught is the truth. And again, that's not too difficult to understand. You're thinking, man, you said the whole truth thing is complicated and it's really sounding like it's not. Uh, It will be. (laughs) Just you wait. I said to do a lot of reading for this. But Jesus' teachings are also the truth. So how do we know that Jesus' teachings are the truth? Well, he says a couple times that um, what he teaches is the truth, uh, particularly in an instance we'll check out later in John chapter 8. Uh, But one really interesting thing that I feel like I should bring up. Uh, Did you know that Jesus has a catchphrase? I mean, like, every good protagonist and, like, character has a catchphrase. It's like, you know, you've got Superman, who, you know, back in the 40s, this looks like a job for Superman. You know, classic, all right? And then you've got Vizzini, Princess Bride. Inconceivable! Classic. Catchphrase. And then you've got uh, leftists who think they're funny, who just have the word Trump. <laughs> oh, Trump. Yeah, like it's not actually a joke on its own, but it's a catchphrase nonetheless. Well, Jesus has a catchphrase, and you've probably never caught it before because it's incredibly inspirational, but also like really mundane. So, Jesus' catchphrase in John is Amen, Amen. And I guarantee you've never read it like that in your Bible. So my Bible, uh, my NKJV, says most assuredly. He says it every once in a while before he says something really awesome. He'll say, most assuredly, I tell you. And I remember, I'd always just kind of glanced over that. But when I watched uh, the John movie, uh, I think I mentioned that in the last episode. When I, when I watched the John movie, and it's just a word for word, the book of John, And I noticed Jesus kept saying this thing, and whatever translation they used for that movie, he kept saying, I am telling you the truth, and then said whatever. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'd already noticed the pattern of truth, plus, most assuredly, seems to have a little bit more behind it. So I looked it up, and in Greek, it's amen, amen, before he says anything. And he kind of does stuff like that in the other Gospels, too. But in John, it's particularly amen twice, and the most direct translation of that is truly, truly. He emphasizes his own teachings sometimes by opening up with truly, truly, or I am telling you the truth, and then goes on to say something like, I am telling you the truth, uh, whoever obeys my word or abides in my word will never see death, that kind of thing. So Jesus' own teaching is also the truth, which he identifies through his catchphrase, which looks really mundane in our English Bibles, but it's truly, truly, or I am telling you the truth which of course he is. He is the truth who teaches and tells us the truth. And keep in mind that in the same way that God's word created the world, for instance, he spoke the world into into, uh, being, Jesus' words are also the complete, utter, absolute truth. He literally speaks 
truth into being. It's part of his divine character that John is trying to drill into our heads about who he is. Jesus is the truth who teaches the truth. More about the truth. The truth is liberating. This is our third point. The truth is liberating. Uh, But we're not going to talk about that right now because we're going to talk about that later in depth. Uh, Fourth point. The truth is revealed by the Spirit who guides us. Uh, You can check that out in uh, uh, John 16, 13. I'm not going to read that now, but you can check that out. There's there's so many ways you can go with this. i got to filter us through here and narrow us down. Uh, fifth point, the truth sanctifies. Again, uh, seventeen, chapter 17, verse 17 through 19. Uh, check that out. The truth sanctifies. Here's the summary of all this. The truth is that which sanctifies and leads us to God, allowing sinful man to be purified and exist in harmony with the perfect God. Let me say that one more time. The truth is that which sanctifies and leads us to God, allowing sinful man to to be purified and exist in harmony with the perfect God. And that's how it applies to both what Jesus spoke and who Jesus is. Note in uh, the woman at the well account, John 4, 24, Jesus says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth is just part of how we experience God and how we worship God. It's an integral part. So if you don't understand truth in John, you're going to get really lost really quickly. And so this whole truth narrative, to understand it in its true completeness, you have to look at two main stories. So we're going to spend a lot of time in these next two stories that are the the climaxes. There's actually two climaxes of this design pattern in John. Uh, one is in John chapter 8 and another is in John chapter 18. So we're going to spend a lot of time in those. So you might think that this hasn't been too complicated yet, but you have to keep all that in mind or the next passages are going to be like really screwy because again, they're they're the heavy climax of truth in John's gospel. This took me a ton of research just to understand and I'll link you guys uh, some resources in the description, which you should be able to read on every platform now. Uh, I've had some issues with that, but just be warned that what I'm going to be linking is not easy reading. It's um, one article in particular, which I'm going to talk to you about later. Uh, it's written by a scholar, and it's written in intense scholarly language. It, it took me days just to read through it because I had to go so slowly checking footnotes and references, and it's dense, but I would highly recommend going there because it's just so incredibly deep. So trust me, I did my research and I think I have finally got it kind of figured out in a way that I can at least teach it to you guys. So we're going to start with uh, chapter 8. We're going to start in uh, 8.12. So the beginning of chapter 8 is the adulteress in the temple. And then right after that, there's a block of teaching. So chapter 8, uh, verse 13 through 30, just a little summary to understand where we're at. Jesus is teaching and it's kind of teaching and also kind of making more claims about himself. So he's teaching about like his purpose on earth, uh, but his authority gets challenged. And then at the end of him talking about himself and uh, some other stuff and his teaching and getting challenged, uh, it says in verse 30 that many Jews believe. So that's cool. People are believing Jesus. But then the challenge gets picked up a little bit and the debate starts to get going on with what seems to be the religious leaders in uh, in the temple. And just a note so that I can explain how this is the climax of truth. Not only does it have like um, the point where all the truth narratives meet right here in this one instance, this kind of reveals how truth works in the entire gospel, but John actually gave us a signal too. The instance of the noun form of truth occurs seven times. So that's either a total coincidence or it's a signal from John that we should be paying attention to what truth relates to in this exact uh, chapter uh, section here. And the just so you know, the adjective form of true does appear six times, but truth as the noun, and this occurs in Greek too, is only there seven times. 
very specifically seven times. I refuse to believe that's a coincidence because seven is too important in the Bible and John knew that. And he knew that right here in this dialogue, seven truths is going to get people to pay attention and say, wait a minute, there's something going on here with John's major theme. We're going to pick up in uh, chapter 8, verse 31. So remember, a bunch of Jews uh, decided that they were they believed in Jesus. They're going to follow Jesus. And so verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, one, and the truth shall make you free. That's two references right there. Notice, remember when I said the truth is liberating? Jesus says the truth will set you free. Well, free from what? We'll keep reading. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, aha, truly, truly, amen, amen, truly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So we're talking about freedom from slavery to sin. That's what uh, the, the truth sets you free from, is free from slavery to sin. And Jesus, being the Son of God and the bearer of truth, we know that, he has the power to set people free from sin. With what? With the truth. So remember, the truth is him, and the truth is what he taught. And the truth is that which allows people to exist in harmony with God. So keep reading because it doesn't end there. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, this is Jesus speaking, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. So Jesus is two and a out. They're like, hey, he's like, guys, this is not right because you're technically Abraham's descendants, but you're not really acting like Abraham. You're kind of just being jerks. You're trying to kill me um, because of what I've taught. And I'm here to set you free from sin, but instead, you're just responding with this violence. If Abraham were truly your father, well, we'll keep reading it there. Because they answer, they're like, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, no. Verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, three, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. He keeps referencing their father. Who's that? So then they respond and they're like, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Oh, they're getting really spiritual now. They have God as their father. And Jesus said, no, you're still not getting it. Because if God were your father, this is in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. If you came from God, if you, if God is your father, then you'd accept the one who sent you. You understand that. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you were not able to listen to my word. He answers his own question. You're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 4 and 5. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But I tell you the truth. 6. And you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Silence. And if I tell you the truth. 7. Why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. He answers his own question again. Why won't you believe my words? Well, the people of God, if God were your father, truly, if if your whole life was in service to God, if you were pursuing the things of God, then God's word would make sense to you, but it's not. Why? Because you're not of God. Your father is the devil, the satan, the tempter, the accuser, the deceiver. This is Jesus' climactic point, all right? The Jews are not in a state of truth, which is salvation. They are trapped in the lies, which are sin, of their father, the Satan. 
Jesus has the truth and is the truth, but the Jews are unable to believe. Why? He answers his own question, because they aren't from God. They're not consumed with the truth. This whole book has been ordered like a trial. That's why I did the whole radio thing with the trial and the courts. And This whole book is like Jesus is on trial for who he is. But the truth isn't what's being sought here. It's like a corrupt court. You're not interested in the truth. You're interested in the lies and the sin that are being fed to you from your father, the devil. Back in chapter 3 when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, I'd encourage you to read that too. Uh, just, we're going to pick out two verses right here, 20 and 21, chapter 3. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So, the Jews are not living in a state of truth. The truth isn't just information, it's a state of being, of salvation. And the Jews aren't able to live in that. They're trapped in these lies. And of course, they're all trying to pretend they're holier than thou. And so they refuse to go into the truth because the truth hurts. The truth means revealing who you are and the terrible things that they had done despite their pompous, foolish deception that they were doing everything right. The Jews could not handle the truth, literally, because the truth was just more than they could take. They were living in an existence of lies and sin and deception from Satan, and they were unable to understand the truth of God's word. And this is just, it's a tragedy, because the truth is a gift. The truth was Jesus as a gift to humanity, and Jesus' teaching that leads people to an existence with God. This is a free gift. If only you can handle the truth, then you can accept the gift of Jesus Christ. But the Jews totally reject it and tried to give, like, they, they tried to kill the guy who was giving it to them. It's ironic and sad. It is terrible. All because they had been deceived by the deceiver to reject what was given freely to them for them. It's like, why would you get rid of something that was just given to you for free? Like, this isn't, this is the ultimate gift being rejected because they aren't in the truth and they couldn't handle the truth. This is one explanation of the truth narrative in John. It explains in this passage the Jews' inability to come to grips with who Jesus is. They couldn't accept the truth. And why? Well, because there's definitely a satanic presence involved here, but there's actually more to the story. And we're going to pick up in chapter 18 in Pilate's court. So Jesus gets dragged into court and the Jews are just useless at figuring out the truth. They pretty much immediately sentence him and find him guilty, of course. But they can't really do anything about it, so they send it to Pilate. Now, remember, the Jews have found him guilty with basically no trial. John actually doesn't record the trial that uh, other uh, Gospels record, which is interesting. And uh, something I read in uh, the article I'm going to share with you later uh, was that perhaps it was because John has layered this whole book like it's a trial. Remember that. Uh, so there's no need to have a Jewish trial because the whole thing is the Jewish trial of figuring out who Jesus is, like he's the you know, the criminal in court. But they find him guilty with no evidence. All the evidence, just like I did in that joke 40s radio thing, all of the evidence which has been presented in John is a clear statement that Jesus is God. All the sevens and the miracles and the I am's, which I haven't gotten to yet, and the, the truth and who he is, what he is, all of that is proof that he is exactly who he said he is. And there's no evidence to the contrary. So how in the world did he come out of that with a guilty charge? Because the Jews were not interested in the truth at all. And we're going to see that play out. Jesus gets sent to Pilate because the Jewish authorities have 
<laughs> ironically, no authority. They can't really actually do all that much on their own. If they want to get somebody killed, they have to go through Pilate because while the Romans were in charge, one of the rules was nobody has the right to put anybody to death without the Romans' permission. So if they want Jesus to die, which they very much want Jesus to die, they have to convince Pilate to do it for them. And Pilate is the governor or the uh, praetor of uh, the, the region of Palestine, uh, Israel, Israel-Palestine. So they bring him to Pilate's court and there's all sorts of, they, they won't even go into Pilate's court because they're just, they don't want to not be purified or they don't want to be uh unclean for Passover, and of course they're totally unclean. They've got blood on their hands. It's this whole pompous mess with who the Jews think they are. So just some more summary here. Uh, Pilate charges Jesus with being the king of the Jews, but uh, Jesus responds by challenging... You know what? Screw it. Let's read it. I don't know why I'm trying to do this on my own. I should just read it. So Jesus gets delivered to Pilate, and he brings him inside, and he starts questioning him, and here's that conversation. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Ooh, he's getting to the heart of it. He knows right away. Jesus is like, yeah, I know you're just doing exactly what the religious leaders are pulling your arm trying to get you to do. You're just re... uh, (laughs) regurgitating is a fun word. You're just regurgitating whatever the religious leaders just told you about me. Well, that's not helpful now, is it? And Pilate tries to shrug it off. He's like, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So he's yeah, I'm not interested in all that. I don't, I don't have any biases. I don't have anything here. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. They've accused you of something. I want to know, what did you do? That's bullcrap, by the way. I just figured I'd mention that. Uh, Pilate is not interested in the truth either. Let's keep reading. Jesus answers him. He says, well, I kind of am a king. My kingdom is not of this world. This is verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So let's give a little bit of background here. Uh, a big problem in the Roman Empire uh, was rebellions. And what actually had gotten the Jews free for the first time since Babylon had taken over uh, hundreds of years prior, Israel, and particularly uh, Judah, because Israel had been wiped out, the, the south nation of Judah had regained independence after being trapped in multiple empires when they revolted against the Greek empire. And so part of Pilate's job, in fact, possibly his most important job, was to make sure that there weren't revolutionaries who were, um, who were revolting against Rome. And so Barabbas, um, who I think if you read this narrative more into the crucifixion, uh, does John say it? I don't know. You can keep reading. Uh, but Barabbas is a revolutionary, which is so... Um, there's a lot to that with how that relates to Pilate and how that relates to the Jews and what they wanted and the Messianic king and whatnot. But just know this. What Jesus just made a statement of is, I am not a threat to Rome because my kingdom isn't a kingdom like Rome is a kingdom. My kingdom is something else. And if I was concerned with what was going on here on earth, then my servants would be starting a rebellion right now because you just arrested me. But they're not. We are not a threat to you. Rome should not be concerned or invested in this matter, and therefore your job, Pilate, it it doesn't apply to the situation. This is about the Jews trying to get what they want. So no, I'm not a threat. Don't have to worry about that, Pilate. Keep reading. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Ah, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate responds and says, what is truth? But before anyone can give an answer or Pilate can elaborate, he just walks out. When he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him. Which is basically, of course, he's not starting a revolution. He's not really of concern to me. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He's just, you know, whatever. But Jesus has brought the truth into this matter, which... Remember, the truth is kind of what he's on trial for. If you think about a court system, I don't know if you've ever watched like Making of uh, Mac, uh, 
Making a Murderer on Netflix. Uh, I never watched the first season. I watched the second season with my parents, and it's fantastic. Just the the courtroom setting and trying to get to the bottom of the of the truth. As the, the lawyer on that show, I forget her name, but she's just she's fantastic at what she does, and she, it's all about getting to the truth and this deep layered mystery. What it's about is getting to the bottom of it, getting to the truth, and that's what a trial should be. And so Jesus brings the truth into the conversation, and Pilate's question, what is truth, is loaded. So you remember that article I was telling you about? That article is all about this one question. It's like 30 pages long. So point number one, first of all, this is the last reference to truth in John's gospel. The word does not come up again. That's just it. Pilate's question, what is truth, which is the second climax, is literally the last reference. So there's no more. There's nothing that explains what's going on here that's after the story. Everything about truth is something we've seen in the truth already. So we already know, as the readers of John's gospel, hey, I know what the truth is. Why is Pilate asking? So the second thing we need to understand about this question is that it's uh, something that the scholars all seem to refer to as Johannine irony. And Johannine is just an adjective form of John. So it just means from John. Irony. Uh, So Johannine irony in English uh, for the common English speaker who's not a scholar. Uh, John is a troll. He just messes with people in his gospel. And and he's demonstrating frequently right from the very beginning uh, in John chapter one, he came to his own, but his own did not accept him. Like, wait a minute, that's so backwards. That's so counterintuitive. That's ironic. It's all through John's gospel. And so this is another instance of Johannine irony in the fact that what is truth? Well, Jesus is the truth. You're talking to him. That's what the truth is, is Jesus. So that's the second point is that this is part of uh, Johannine irony. Uh, the third point, I'm just going to read this straight from uh, this article. So this article is, what is truth? Quotation. Pilate's question in its Johannine and larger biblical context. It's by uh, a scholar named Andreas. I'm going to butcher this. Kostenberger. He's foreign, clearly. Uh, there'll, there'll be a link to this article in the description. It's, it's free online and a PDF. And if you want to read it, which I would encourage you to, just... Get a cup of tea, take some time, go slowly, keep a Bible right nearby, and read all the footnotes. So I'm going to read a quote uh, from uh, page 58 of that article. He says, Commentators regularly note the irony of Pilate's question, what is truth, in light of the fact that truth incarnate, the way, the truth, and the life, is standing right in front of him. While not wanting to deny this, I believe there is an even more striking irony at work here. And then he quotes another guy, this guy, I'm going to butcher this name too, Miroslav Wolf. As that guy aptly notes, and so now this is a quote from another guy, a quote within a quote here, trials are supposed to be about finding out what happened and metting out justice. In Jesus' trial, neither the accusers nor the judge cared for the truth. The judge scorns the very notion of truth. What is truth, he asks, and uninterested in any answer, he leaves the scene of the dialogue. For both the accusers and the judge, the truth is irrelevant because it works at cross-purposes to their hold on power. The only truth they will recognize is the truth of power. It was the accused who raised the issue of truth by subtly reminding the judge of his highest obligation, find out the truth. Now we're back to Kotzenberger. In the context of of the trial narrative, Pilate, as the one called to judge concerning the truth regarding Jesus, here dismisses the entire question of truth. If the judge cares nothing about the truth, what does that say about the value of Jesus' trial and the verdict reached regarding Jesus? The message is obvious. The question of truth was dismissed as glibly as Pilate's question dismissed Jesus' claim that he was that he came to witness to the truth. Here's the idea. Pilate doesn't care for the truth. The Jews don't care for the truth. Nobody actually cares for the truth. The truth simply was not relevant to the situation. As with any corrupt court here, all right, you know corrupt courts. With any corrupt court, the truth is not the object of the trial. It's about the the metagame. What was at stake was not measured as a man's life, and it wasn't the sake of the people of God. Rather, what was at stake was for the courts involved. It, It was their power. It was about people trying to hold on to their influence. It was not an accident that Jesus is executed. John is making this very clear. 
The Jews did not reach the wrong conclusion. They didn't have other evidence that implied that they were wrong. They weren't mistaken. The truth was clear for everybody to see. All the evidence pointed to one verdict. Jesus is exactly who he says he is. The truth is Jesus is God and Jesus is salvation. That's the truth. But the truth was willfully rejected. The Jews used Pilate to maintain their influence in Israel, and Pilate used Jesus to maintain his political power in Israel and under Caesar. Pilate is concerned that the Israelites are going to cause problems, the Jews are going to cause problems if he doesn't comply with what they want. And the Jews actually whisper in Pilate's ear and say, hmm, well, a friend of Caesar would kill this guy. And so they're totally using Pilate. Pilate is just... He's not concerned with the truth either. He has to do, in his mind, whatever he has to do to hold on to his power and influence. Simply put, for mankind to get its way and hold on to its power, the truth had to be willfully ignored and rejected. Because the truth is the only result of the trial that the judges and juries couldn't handle. Jesus was innocent. And Pilate sealed his own doom with this throwaway question. What is truth? It's, it's skeptical. It's just, it's negative. He's not looking for an answer. He's just throwing this question out here. What is truth? The truth is what you're supposed to be figuring out, Pilate. It's not a throwaway. But Pilate doesn't care and the Jews don't care because they're consumed with their own power and influence, not with getting to the bottom of who Jesus really is, like a sincere investigation would have turned up. The people who tried Jesus, you see, they made this mistake of thinking that they had authority, and they really didn't. They thought that the truth was something that they could define for themselves, but the truth isn't subjective. <laughs> I think it's Ben Shapiro who always says, uh, facts don't care about your feelings. The truth is the truth. And you have to deal with that. You can't just pretend like it's not. You can't bend the truth to your own uh, reality or desires. That's part of the objective nature of truth is that it's not something you get to choose. It just is. And especially you can't define the truth when you're putting the truth himself on trial. He's the one who speaks truth, the one who is truth, the one whose truth makes the way to God. He is the, literally the source of the universe. You can't claim that he's not the truth and have a legitimate uh, standing there. So anyways, Pilate goes out and there's this whole exchange and then he goes back in. We're going to pick up in verse 1910. No, we're not going to do verse 10. We're going to do verse 8. Therefore, Pilate heard that saying which was referring to the Jews giving him a hard time. He was once more afraid of them, and so he went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you, the power to release you? Pilate's like, I got all the cards in the situation. You gotta play my game. And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Uh, that's a statement that's also loaded. I'm not going to get into that. But notice that he throws this power away. He's like, Pilate, you got nothing. Nothing that wasn't given to you by God. So from here on, Pilate decides that he wants a redemption arc in, <laughs> in the Gospel of John. So he's like, yeah, you know what? I want to release this guy. He's clearly not a threat. He's not a problem. So he desires to release him. So he goes back out. And redemption arc immediately ends because the Jews start twisting his arm again and Pilate chooses to do what the crowds ask. And it's at that point, this is the final point in John, truth has been officially rejected because of the corrupt court, the corrupt trial that was taking place that wasn't in pursuit of the truth. If they were in pursuit of the truth, they would have found Jesus. Instead, the truth was officially rejected and forsaken for the power of the ones that were involved. Pilate did something that strictly went against his moral beliefs because he decided that power was more important and that his job as judge was lesser to that than his position of authority. So he said the truth is less important than me maintaining my own position, which is funny because his position is founded on the truth. And it's a position which is authority given to him by God, who speaks truth and who gave the truth. See the irony here? This is what the scholars mean when they say Johannine irony. 
Yeah, they're referring to this kind of stuff, where it's just, it's so backwards. And if you actually sit there and think about it, instead of just reading through John's gospel like anything else, you realize, dang, this is so backwards. The Bible does this all the time, and I'm thinking on doing an episode on just things I've learned about the Bible. And one of the things that I've learned about the Bible is that I grew up just reading it, and I'd see weird stuff, and I'd be like, well, yeah, the reason that that thing is weird is because it's the Bible. The answer is it's the Bible. It just it does whatever it wants. What I've realized is that the Bible actually sets expectations. There are things that you would expect to happen, and in John, it happens all the time. You'd expect this to happen, but what makes it so interesting is that it doesn't. And this whole thing, this whole trial, everything with Pilate, it's all totally backwards and truly ironic. But see, that's not the end of the story, and that's the beauty of John's gospel. The truth would rise again from death, because guess what? The truth can't be killed. Those who had authority really didn't, by the way. So three years after Jesus was crucified and rose again, uh, Pilate would be recalled from Rome and out of his position of authority uh, because Pilate was just not doing a good job. And so Pilate's authority ultimately crumbled, even though he had chosen uh to execute Jesus for his own power. 35 years after that, Israel would try to revolt against Rome just like they did against Greek, uh, the Greeks. And instead of it going relatively well, like it did when they rebelled against the Greek Empire, uh, Rome obliterated them. They are gone. Like, Israel wouldn't be a country again until after the Holocaust and World War II. 1900 years plus before Israel would become a country again because Rome destroyed them so bad. So the Jews really had no authority either. I'll tell you what was going on. Christianity was taking over the world and ultimately would take over the Roman Empire, which Pilate was a part of, which his power that he was holding on to would eventually be completely taken over by the Roman Catholic Church. And 2,000 years later... The only authority that matters to the church and to the Christians is the authority of the truth. The truth which has sanctified us and made us who we are and made a way for us to get to God. That's the truth. But like I said, the truth hurts because the truth requires that we be introspective. And that's just not a pretty picture. In any case, that is John's story of truth. Here's my conclusion. The truth is not something that can be decided, okay? You don't have that power. Pilate doesn't have that power. The Jews don't have that power. You don't get to decide the truth. What it can be is accepted or rejected. As John has painted, uh, rejection doesn't go very well. It doesn't work. You think you can reject the truth and have your own way. No. It's just simply not going to work. But acceptance is hard because accepting the truth means both the end of religious power and the end of your influence, and it means looking at yourself and wrestling with all that is against the truth. Our father is the devil. He deceives us, and it's so easy to just fall into those lies and stay out of the truth and hide in the darkness instead of being in the light. The truth is this antithesis. Antithesis is a fun word. The truth is the antithesis to political and worldly power because the truth is that they don't really have power anyways. And so the truth is an incredibly powerful statement. Accepting the truth means knowing who you are, and that's just simply not a pretty picture. And most importantly, accepting the truth is not humanly possible. Even the disciples abandoned Jesus during the crucifixion. No one really, truly held on to the truth, especially not the religious leaders. But it's simply not possible to do on your own. And this goes into a whole other debate of free will versus predestination. And I'm telling you, God moves first. God chooses you and enables you to accept the truth, which is incredibly difficult. Because everything in our lives wants us to reject the truth of who Jesus is. Even, you know, this world, and Andreas uh, Katzenberger brings this up in his, uh, in his article, 
it's a world that just, that is consumed with themselves and with doubt, and then the people who believe in God just kind of believe in this loose idea of God and not the truth. And the truth is Jesus, who is the only truth and the only way to God. And so the truth, which is so hard to accept, is the narrow way, which is trusting that Jesus is who he is and that he is the only way you're going to get to God. It's not by good works. It's not by all this religious bullarchy that's just, it's been there since the Jews 2,000 years ago, and it's it's still in here in America today. This idea that the way you get to God is through rules. No, the truth, the truth is so much more powerful than those lies. But you can't accept it on your own. And so the best thing to do is to turn around right now and praise and thank God that he allowed you to understand and accept the truth. You didn't do that in your own power. If it were about evidence, you realize this, right? If it were about evidence, the whole world would just bow down to God right here and now, because the evidence is overwhelming. But it's not about evidence. It's about a spiritual battle being fought by humanity and against God. It's a willingness to ignore what is true so that they don't have to let go of their own powers and influence. Think about the, the, the science. How do people... It takes more faith to believe in science than it has to believe in God, for goodness sake. I just... I have this class that I'm taking right now. It's a biology class. And, of course, that meant we had to talk about the origin of life. And we watched this, like, hour-long documentary, which was about how... Mind you, this is the secular people who are believing in this thing. We're like, it's just incredible. Because, by all means, we shouldn't exist. The odds of life being created aren't the only odds. The odds that Earth is exactly the conditions that it are, that Earth is... The conditions here, the temperature being right in liquid water and how far away we are from the sun and the fact that we've got the moon which literally moves water over the earth so that, so that life can exist in the way that it does and we've got Jupiter which is like this swirling shield that goes around us and sucks up asteroids that don't hit us and destroy us. Like the whole point of this thing that was arguing for evolution and for this ridiculous assumption about life The whole thing was that by all means, we shouldn't exist. And to believe in a God means that we actually should. It takes less faith to believe in God than it does to believe in this evolution and science and all this crap. Why? Well, the evidence points to God, but this lie is to reject that and to believe in something else entirely. Because it's not about evidence. It's about the spiritual battle that's being fought and an inability for humanity to understand the truth when the truth isn't made known to us by the Spirit himself. Two applications here, and I'm wrapping up. First, what are you going to do when you're faced with the truth? You can try to define it for yourself, or you can usurp it for your own purposes. But John paints a pretty clear picture of what both of those are going to pan out to. And just a note here, just because you're a Christian, I don't think that means you fully accepted the truth. Uh, we hear stories, or at least I hear stories all the time, of Christians who aren't, period. That's Christians who go their whole lives and they're not living in the spiritual reality that is faith in Jesus. Just because you are a Christian or consider yourself a Christian, or even if you truly have been saved, I don't think that means you fully come to grips with the truth. I would spend time, and John, don't just listen to what I've said about this, spend time looking at who Jesus is and what the truth means to your life. Second application, we need to understand that the people in this world who, they haven't proved the truth wrong because you can't do that. Any proof that the truth is wrong is not proof at all because that proof is clearly wrong. Truth is objective. The people of this world have not proved truth wrong. They haven't found some legitimate alternative truth. They're in total denial of the truth. It doesn't happen in the evidence, it happens in the head and in the spirit. And we can't really be too hard on them because we know that the deceiver is at work here, and this is a spiritual battle. And it has to be revealed to them by Jesus. It's not as simple as convincing someone to believe. It has to be worked on from the inside. It's not about the evidence, although it should be. The deceiver is at work here, and we have to be aware of that. And the father of lies can't handle the truth, and he doesn't want anyone else to follow the truth either. So he's doing everything in his power to make sure that humanity rejects the truth. And all too often, it's working. 
because Christians are not out there doing what we should be doing. There's too many weak Christians out there. And I hate having a negative view of the church. And there's plenty, loads of great Christians out there. That's not what this is about. But there's plenty who could be doing more. This is a spiritual battle, and we can't just be fighting it passively. We've got to be fighting it hard. I really wish that that wasn't our reality. I wish that our reality was one where people would just see the evidence. I wish I could convince someone to believe in God. But to put it simply, it's just not. That's not our reality. The fact that people are always going to reject the truth unless it's revealed to them on a spiritual level, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth that he spoke and that he lived, well, they're not going to accept that just by being convinced. John is proof of that. And as sad as it is, that's just the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Redeeming the Time. I hope I've given you some stuff to really like chew on and work through. We're going to be back with more episodes soon. I'm not going to do a lengthy outro here, but we're going to be back with more episodes and we're going to keep digging into this. But the truth, I hope I've done it justice. It goes so, so deep. And so I would strongly encourage that you go into this yourself because John is a phenomenal book and he's trying to show you something and he's trying to get the spirit to move within you so that you can accept the truth too. So if you haven't accepted the truth, if you're in denial about something about God, you need to resolve that. That is like top priority. Nothing comes before that. You need to come to grips with the truth. And I'm not even sure that I'm there yet, but I'm sure as heck going to try. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Redeem the Time. I will see you on the next episode.